Welcome to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. Then what happened was my brother and I started several other companies on the back of that and we were enormously successful. How much money did you make? We made a hundred million dollars in the 80s together. Where, where is that money today? Well, my money's gone. I have lost it in a myriad of roller coaster rides that I've gone on and taken my uh, 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 family on. The Black Effect is a film about David Bleck. It's a rags to riches to rags story about someone who makes $500 million in the biotech field. And because he's uh, bipolar and has a a gambling addiction, he ends up uh, losing it all. A voyage of discovery in an uncommon age of unparalleled scientific, economic, political, and social upheaval, life on planet Earth searches for the unvarnished truth, answers, solutions, and above all, hope for our existential crisis. That was the voice of filmmaker David Greenwald talking to me about his latest documentary, The Black Effect, which follows the disgraced former king of biotech, David Black, who was once worth more than a cool 300 million. You also listen to a scene from the film with David Black explaining how his money was gone. My interview with David Greenwald is coming up. Writing in the New York Times, Andrew Pollock said David Bleck was once the top gunslinger in the biotechnology sector, quick to draw his checkbook to start new companies or prop up faltering ones. David was behind industry giants such as Celagen and once had his hopes for his financial revival dashed when his investment in a drug for the cure of Alzheimer's did not succeed. It all came crashing down for David Bleck through his reckless financial and psychological behaviour and his security fraud charges. You know, I just can't help but think of Bernie Madoff, another former king on Wall Street who rode a roller coaster caught when the markets collapsed. Neither the crimes that Bernie and David are accused of are excusable. Remember, innocent people and companies get hurt. But when you take a measure of the price both have paid, you wonder where should justice begin and where should justice end? You will learn much about the suffering and pain endured by David Black and his family and will surely feel a quantum of sorrow. Bernie Madoff, no choir boy of course, has lost family members his son, he himself growing old and frail in jail. I once interviewed Bernie Madoff and his brother Peter for a magazine cover story and if our accounting is correct today... Some 70% or so of the money that Bernie is accused of swindling from investors has been returned to the original investors. Again, not to excuse Bernie Madoff for his very bad actions. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. 
I really enjoyed David Greenwald's film, The Black Effect. It's available on demand. It lifts the curtain on the human tragedy of fraud from the perpetrators and victim side, opens us up to a world of love, redemption of sorts, and casts a close eye on the devastating impact of mental disorders. To protect her home and family in a disaster, Karen was willing to wade through water, mud, and insurance paperwork. Yeah, I can do this. You go, Karen! By simply understanding and updating what her insurance covers and doesn't cover now, she'll be better prepared no matter when disaster strikes. Learn other simple ways to protect your home and family before a natural disaster at ready.gov. That's ready.gov. A message from FEMA and the Ad Council. Well, it's just grand to welcome you back. I'm your host, John Aiden Byrne. My guest is David Greenwald the award-winning film editor who has a long list of credits. He has worked with directors Jonathan Dem, Spike Lee, Ernest Dickerson, Tim Robinson and Ed Burns and more. His new documentary, The Black Effect, is just out and available on demand. David Black would be among the richest men in the world if he hadn't made some horrible decisions compounded by his bipolar disorder, depression and his gambling addictions. He attends Gamblers Anonymous GA these days. His fortune is gone. It's a far cry from David Black's financial glory days. Back in 1992, David Black controlled a batch of biotech companies it all started with Genetic Systems Corps, the company that David established with his dad and brother in the 1980s, and then later sold for $300 million. I took David Greenwald to a scene in his movie, The Black Effect, and it's in a courtroom where a judge is meeting out justice to the disgraced former biotech king. It is a compelling and dramatic reenactment. I desperately tried to get a camera into the courtroom, but the judge did not allow us in there. But I did sit through it. Um, and, you know, just so I could tell you from personal experience, uh, it was a frightening experience because the judge just walked in right away and she just started yelling at the defense attorney, not really even giving him um, a chance to finish his opening statement. It appeared that she had made up her mind um, before uh, she even walked in the room. And just to, again, it reminded me of um, sort of being a young child in, in first or second grade and the principal comes in and just starts yelling at you. I don't <laughs> think there was a person, uh, you know, in the room that, that, didn't uh, have chills uh, just based on how she was yelling and she uh, just had this very uh, mean voice going and a, a scowl. So um, after, uh, you know, when I was making the film, I, I wanted to try and recapture, you know, what I saw. So um, 
we hired uh, storyboard artists and we uh, we drew and um, and animated um, those scenes. And um, uh, Deborah Rush, the actress who's a good friend of mine, volunteered to play Judge McMahon. So I was very lucky to have such a a, a wonderful actress uh, play that. And we tried to recreate the scene, and a lot of uh, people that we show it to uh, thought that we actually got the real tapes and drawings from the trial. So I was very happy that that worked out so well. I think it really captures the spirit of, of the sentencing. Now, it seems to me your sympathies are with David and his family. Um, you know, th- that's a great question. Uh, I, you know, as the filmmaker, I really hope at the end of the film, you know, when the credits roll, that people will have very different opinions about David. I mean, some people will be sympathetic uh, about him and some people will uh, hate him. Uh, And I don't think there's a wrong way to react to it. So I wasn't, uh, you know, I was trying to tell the truth. Um, uh, I wasn't trying to make a PR film for David. Uh, And I think one, one of the things that I really like about the film is how honest David is about his shortcomings. I mean, he's very self-aware um, of a lot of the things that he's done wrong through the years, and he talks about it very candidly. And he also talks about the fact that he's not able to put up roadblocks to stop his recurring behavior. And um, he was hoping that by making this film that other people who suffer from bipolar disease will um, be able to uh, see themselves and their relatives will be able to see a film like this and try and uh, get them help. I met uh, David Black in Greenwich Village uh, at a a Little League game, and uh, one of the uh, coaches pointed him out. Uh, He was off in the distance, and he said to me, he said, you see that guy over there in that dirty white T-shirt? And I said, yeah. And he said, he used to be worth $500 million, and then he lost it all. And so when I heard that, I thought, well, gee, uh, that sound, sounds like there's an interesting story there. And uh, we got to know each other over the course of the year. And he gave David gave me this um, a manuscript for a, a book that he had written about his life story and told me that it was optioned by Oliver Stone to be made into a a feature film. And I was very excited to see this film about David. And a couple of years went by and didn't see the film. And I ran into David on the street, asked him about the film. He said that the option had lapsed. And uh, we talked a little bit. And a week later, I asked him if um, he'd be interested if I made a documentary about him. And he agreed. And a week later, with no budget, no crew, I showed up um, in his apartment. Wow. Um, Well, I shot for uh, close to two years. uh, And then the the editing and raising money and all that was probably about another two years. It was somewhere like the the typical uh, indie documentary time. David is a fascinating individual. He has been diagnosed as having bipolar disorder, manic depressive. And of course, we saw those scenes in the documentary where he goes to GA 
Um, he, he sort of almost strikes me as being a sort of a genius in many ways. What did you learn about David during filming? Well, uh, David's father was uh, severely bipolar, and uh, he also worked uh, in the stock business, um, but he was very interested in companies that could uh, possibly uh, invent new cures to, uh, to diseases. Um, but David saw uh, his father at times be really depressed, and it seemed to be directly parallel to how the stock market was doing. Like if, if uh, the stock market was riding high, he'd be really, his dad would be really happy. And uh, when it would come crashing down, there were times when he couldn't get out of bed in the morning. And David talks about how him and his brother at a young age had to coax uh, their father uh, out of bed. Uh, so David swore, uh, based on you know seeing this kind of behavior from his dad, he swore that he would never go into that kind of a business. Uh, after graduating uh, as a music major, and having like one kind of a a hit, he he wrote a song with his brother uh, called Shanghai, which uh, actually uh, made the music charts and was uh, was a big hit in Europe. But uh, he was sort of one hit wonder on the music scene, and uh, didn't have a job. And his father offered him a job. Uh, to work uh, on Wall Street, and that's how it all started. Uh, as far as you know, getting back to your question about being a genius, I think he is a, a very uh, bright man. Uh, he was able to um, spot good scientists and good science, and uh, he also uh, was very interested in companies that were. Uh, working on, on different medicines to you know for different cures, and I think he w part of his genius was just putting the right people together, and once they were together, uh, creating situations where they could thrive. He and his brother were huge investors in the biotech sector for over a decade. Yes, I mean they they started um, you know some of the biggest companies. Uh, in the business, I think uh, Celgene was one of the companies that they started. Uh, it's worth thirty-seven uh, billion dollars today, um, and uh, they also started um, uh, Ariad Pharmaceuticals and Icos, and I could just go on and on, mm. like um, some of the biggest uh, names in in biotech. And there were celebrities on Wall Street. They were on the Wall Street Journal, all the business magazines. Yes, uh, there there was a a big article on them in, in uh, Newsweek. You know, there were articles where David was just you know hailed you know the king of biotech. Um, so yeah, they got a lot of a lot of press. And I think what happened was a, the Bleck effect, uh, which is the name of the film, referred to David's Midas touch. If he would come into a, a a company, he would start these companies or see a company that was having trouble, and he would spot the scientists. And whatever company he started would just uh, be very, very successful. And they referred to that as the Black Effect. And other people wanted to sort of follow him uh, as investors because 
they saw how successful he was in picking companies. So the movie, the documentary, could be watched on many levels. People with an interest in emotional disorders, psychiatric disorders, would watch his bipolar and the way you looked at that through the camera, and also as a financial documentary. It's also it's also a love story. Um, I think that um, during the filming, despite all the uh, difficulty that they had as a family. I mean, most most people have money problems. Uh, most people have mental problems and most people have financial problems, but the Blacks have much more of all those problems. They're you know, to such an extreme, but in spite of all the tension and difficulty, uh, Margie and David uh, stayed together and they love each other. And I think that's also a big part of the film. Here's an emotional scene from the black effect that captures this same love in the black family today. What did you think of him when you first met him, Marjorie? I, I thought he had appealing eyes. That was the first thing I thought. And he was quite frank and open and Brutally honest. Brutally honest, a little too honest. Well, what, did he, what did he tell you? The everything. <laughs> text and whatever. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Family is very important to David Black. That seems obvious as you follow scenes in the Black effect from inside the family home in the Chelsea section of New York City. But at one point in his business career, David had taken his focus off the family. Most definitely. Uh, there were times when, when David really, uh, by his own admission, could, you know, would go in long six, eight-month stretches where he would really pay no attention to, to anybody and was just sort of locked in on the deals that he was making um, and uh, just trying to uh, uh, get out of you know, some of the trouble that, that um, he got himself into. I remember this memorable line in the documentary. David said he had never had any mistresses. He was loyal to his wife and family, a family man. But he said Wall Street was his mistress. Yes, um, a lot of uh, people who use Wall Street uh, as a casino uh, they don't realize that that's what they're doing. But part of David's illness is that he can't say no to a deal. And also when he sees something that is a possibility of you know being uh, promising, he just blows it out of proportion. He becomes like incredibly over optimistic. I mean, he had a tremendous stake in Apple and during one of his... Um, manic states he sold the entire stake and bought a penny stock um, called pluristem an israeli stem cell uh, company with the whole idea that this was going to be the next thing bigger than apple and then uh, when he came out of his uh, bipolar state he realized that what he had done and that's where he started getting in trouble um, where he's, he started um, selling some of that pluristem stocks in ways that uh, weren't exactly kosher. David Black and his brother Isaac 
were very close growing up and later in business. But those bonds came apart as David engaged in his reckless behavior. Yes, uh, they were very close. They did everything uh, together. Um, you know, David talks about how they went to Yankee games and, you know, they made uh, films together, wrote music together. They were as close as brothers could be. But at some point, like all addicts, uh, addicts have a hard time um, uh, maintaining relationships with family or, or anyone else for, the, for that matter, because they just really want to keep their addiction alive and anyone or anything that gets in the way can't be tolerated. So uh, David uh, was taking some very high risks uh, with uh, their money and his brother Isaac was not happy about it. And it was, he just did it one too many times. And uh, at one point, like Isaac just walked away with uh, his money and pretty much had nothing to do with David since then. Now, so I'm going to presume David and Isaac have not reconciled. Is there a, a reconciliation on the horizon at any point? Or has any, either of them tried to reach out to each other? Know that at times uh, David has. Uh, and I know that David really hopes that uh, at some point uh, they can reconcile. And in the film, I think David very much... Uh, admits that the problems that he had with his brother were all um, ones that were his fault. And I think uh, Isaac, I'm hoping if Isaac sees the film, it will uh, make him be more interested in uh, reconciling with David because of how honest he was about how it was really his fault that their relationship was severed. So I want to get this straight. David has no fortune. He's lost it all. So how does he survive? How did they pay their bills, the family? Well, I, I haven't actually been over there uh, for for quite some time. You know, it was always a question exactly of like, people thought, well, gee, you know, he must really have money like hidden in some Swiss bank account or or somewhere under the mattress. But I don't think that was really the case. Uh I think that David did some consulting work for people. Uh, I think that there were a lot of people who he made fortunes for, and they are still loyal to him, so they give him opportunities. And I think that's pretty much how they uh, survive. So some of his colleagues from his early days and some of his friends stuck by him. Did he lose friends? Yes, um, he uh, he definitely lost friends and family. Um, like I, you know, said earlier, uh, it's very common uh, for uh, alcoholics or gambling addicts or uh, drug addicts to lose sometimes all their friends and all their family. One of the things that um, David got involved with Gamblers Anonymous and would go to meetings. Uh, a couple times a week, and he developed a very close relationship with uh, other gamblers. He had a sponsor, and it was the beginning of a bridge back to him. And he realizes he realized uh, how he mistreated, you know, his family and friends. Yeah, that 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 was very clear in your documentary. Where he said he would notice details on somebody, his wife, you're wearing eyeshadow. I would never have noticed that in the past because I was so caught up in my own world. 
Yes. Um, during the course of the film, I think you're even able to see like an arc of, of uh, how he changes uh, and becomes just more accessible to to his son. Their their relationship uh, sort of blossoms. So yes, I th- I think that uh, at some point. The uh, Gamblers Anonymous was very helpful to David. David Black was hoping for a financial comeback, perhaps a financial windfall with his investment and interest in a drug for the potential cure of Alzheimer's. The investment did not succeed for him. You know, it was very real. I mean, you could, you know, uh, his company, Intellect Neurosciences, um, had uh, developed what um, was developing a drug uh, to help treat Alzheimer's, and um, it was written about, like in the New York Times and um, Johnson and, and Johnson and Bristol Myers Squibb uh, were were testing the the drug out. Uh, so he was also he was working with a scientist uh, named Daniel Chain and. Uh, Daniel came from a very famous uh, British uh, science background. His father, Sir Ernst Chain, co-discovered the, the polio um, vaccine with uh, Salk. So uh, it was a real company, and uh, unfortunately, it didn't really work out that well for David. Is there even a faint hope of possibility that perhaps... The energy and investment in a potential Alzheimer's cure may somehow pay off for David Black one day. Yeah, you know it's very interesting because yes, they're they're, they're still working uh, on something, and uh, so it's still a little alive. Um, but there's always that question, like, well, okay, you know, how much of this is real and how much of it is the gambler trying to make a new score and i think that as you'll see in the film at times it's a little bit of both so what does the future hold for david and his family it's very difficult to answer that question uh in that david still struggles with a lot of the same um issues that he struggled with uh in the film and I think finances are definitely an issue uh, for for him, and I, I think that in taking care uh, of his son Evan is also very expensive. So they live pretty much; uh, they still live pretty much day to day. I'm hoping things will work out for them. It's available on demand. Can you tell us, uh, people listening, where they can watch this? Yes, you can uh, watch it on uh, Apple TV, iTunes, and um, on Amazon Prime. David, you're also working on a feature documentary about the Afghan girls' robotics team. Can you just tell us a little bit about that? When should it be released? We just uh, finished our third rough cut, so uh, we're a couple months away. We're hoping that it'll be released um, sometime uh, in the spring. Okay, well, that's just terrific. David, uh, it's been just a pleasure talking to you. Good luck with your filmmaking, with the fascinating documentary on Davis, and we will talk again soon. Thank you so much for having me, John. You've been listening to Life on Planet Earth with John Aiden Byrne. 
To reach the host or learn about advertising or sponsorship opportunities, call 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. That's 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com. 973-664-9460 in the U.S. or email burndesk at gmail.com.